Hi, I'm Caroline Varenkamp, host of Wonders of the World, a podcast that combines travel and history and food for a little bit of fun. You're listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. I'm Robin Renee, and this is The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. Hi, I'm Wendy Sheridan, and welcome to episode 109. Today, I'm really excited to interview my co-host Robin in our Artscape segment. And also this season, we are exploring the theme of acceptance in our featured interview segment. We've been talking to guests about various aspects of acceptance of self, others, and the state of the world. Yes, and this time we'll feature my interview with Carolyn Vanderkamp. She talks really candidly about dealing with a very difficult cancer diagnosis, as well as coming out as transgender and the hidden gifts one can discover even in, and maybe especially in difficult circumstances. So welcome to the show and uh, let's check in. So how has your fortnight been? That's <laughs> my fortnight. <laughs> well, we, every other week is, Two weeks. That's yes. a fortnight. So exactly, uh, it's been. Uh, uh, I you know I can't think of the whole two weeks. I can tell you about the weekend. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Which has been very good. I've been taking more of more of an actual weekend lately, and doing things that people do on weekends. So I went to a an amusement park, which had its last day of the season yesterday mm. and kind of walked around and uh, oh, wow. had a good time. Yeah, just chill time. Um, you know, some people were going to the beach and I said, I, I, I don't know. I start feeling like I've got other things to do around this time of year, but it's been good. Um, the surprise, annoying surprise that, <laughs> well, annoying slash relieving surprise is that Devo is not playing this week. I, they, uh, by the time this comes out, they will have not played yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> they will have not played yesterday. Okay. Right. So that was a bummer. They were going to be at Radio City and the cancellation is, there's reasons, I don't know. It's I, It sounds like a complicated thing that happened, but you know, I really wanted to see them. I wanted to see some friends I hadn't seen in a long, long time, but also was really pretty leery about being in a closed space building with that many people, even if everyone was supposed to have been vaccinated and stuff. So, you know, I'm bummed, but I'm also, well, maybe the, when it gets rescheduled, maybe it'll be a better time for these things uh, anyway. Okay. So, so they, they didn't, they didn't say why, or they just sort of, it's not, it's a, I don't know. I'll, I'm, I can tell you what I think I know off air. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. We don't need, we but don't need Devo don't coming after us. <laughs> so I want to say happy Maybon to everyone. Cause I think Wednesday is Maybon. That's when this is going live. Yes. Right. Yes. yes. Happy Maybon. So uh, that, awesome. that is the fall equinox. And I think, we're getting together. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if that's that still very happening. Very good. Yes. 
I won't be potentially contaminated by yeah. the whole, you know. I don't have to put you in a in a, <laughs> a environment suit to interact with you, right? <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so it, that's officially the start of fall. In New Jersey, it's been feeling really fall-like here. I have been loving the 60-something, 50-something degree temperature at sunrise every morning. I've been eating breakfast outside and and just like I had to put on like a sweater. So that's very exciting for me. <laughs> so, so I'm ready. I guess I'm ready for fall. Yeah, I like the somewhat cooler weather because I exercise more. It's just mm. easier to be outside and stuff. So, yeah, you know, and then I, I love summer, but that's one aspect of this I love. So, yeah, yeah, that's our <laughs> That is our life. Nice. Uh, (laughs) So you can catch a new episode of The Leftscape every other Wednesday. Yes, please do. (laughs) Subscribe to our show on our website, which is leftscape.com, or you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And also make sure to get automatic downloads so you never miss a show. Yes. And please do also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Leftscape. And if you want to just uh, do a little bit more, leave us a review. You can anywhere that you listen to us and people want to know what you think, you know, Facebook, Google, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to us. And um, when you're on our website, please check out our show notes and sign up for our monthliest monthly-ish newsletter, <laughs> which I will be supposedly writing very soon. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and that is called the Leftscape Lookout. So check it out. And you can also join us over on Patreon for extra content. If you become a patron, it helps us keep making this show better. We really appreciate your support at any level. And our tiers run from the dollar a month front row seats to backstage pass, stage store, and all the way up to the elusive hotel room key. And I want to thank you so much. And this month, our exclusive Patreon segment, we should be recording this for September, will be about how spirituality and more from Asia have influenced Robin and I in our practices and our lives. So I hope uh, you can join us on Patreon and check that out. Okay, so uh, three random facts and the news. My first random fact is that on December 8th in 1908, Joseph Forstier Simpson, I believe that is his middle name, Forstier, something, Forstier, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> Joseph Simpson of Vineland, New Jersey, was granted a patent for a game he called Skee-Ball, which is a game I like very much. And in 1929, the National Skee-Ball Company of Coney Island, New York, trademarked the name Skee-Ball. Under the reins of the National Skee-Ball Company, the first National Skee-Ball Tournament was held in Atlantic City at Skee-Ball Stadium. That is a lot of Skee-Ball, and I did not it know is. there was an actual tournament. <laughs> or a stadium. Is it? I assume the stadium is no has been named something else. Now I it's feel like, like Skee-Ball Stadium. TD Bank Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> right. If that were a thing still in Atlantic City, I think I would know. I, don't, I have not heard of that, so... So is skee-ball only a a New Jersey, New York thing? Or has it now spread across the nation? I don't know. I was wondering that myself. I mean, it seems like something that would wind up in other places. You would hope. I mean, I definitely, I don't know that I remember it from before I came to New Jersey, though. So who knows? 
but I've yeah. seen it everywhere here. So, <laughs> and I'll have to put a picture because I don't, you know, you roll a ball and it goes into things in the thing, and I, I, I can't explain it. <laughs> yeah, if if you don't know what skee ball is, it's a uh, a lane, like a sh very short bowling alley lane. Yeah, and, like a, and you like roll a, a ball, lane. and it and it goes up into various like target rings, like a like a, a archery target but it's horizontal and you're trying to get to the, the ball to go into the center one because you get the most points. Right. So, okay. Yeah. It's, it's the like, highest up. Yeah. That's basically it. But yeah, it's, it's <laughs> fun. I try to do it every, you know, at least a little bit. It's like a boardwalk kind of a feeling thing, you know, kind of. Yeah. Thing. It's fun to do. Anyway, well, my, my fact. random fact is it is illegal to whisper in someone's ear while moose hunting. Okay, now I, I have questions about this. Do you have answers? <laughs> I I have conjectures. I could I have rumors. I could start. I don't know. Go ahead. Ask where me. where was this a law? Like what <laughs> state? What is it? Well, it's got to it be American a state law? where there's moose. So right. It's so it's either like the northern plains states or Alaska or both. Okay, I'm just. You know, maybe <laughs> I, I want to know. I want to know the history of how this law came into being. Like somebody must have whispered to someone while they were moose hunting and startled them. And I'm wondering now, did the moose come by and whisper <laughs> to <their> guys here? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I would like to know more about the origin of that. That is very uh, odd. <laughs> all right, <laughs> I'll have to research that and report back. Okay. And my other fact is that today, September 22nd, is the birthday of actress Kim Yoo Jung, rocker Joan Jett, and Scott Bayo. <laughs> well, happy birthday to two out of three. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm being a bitch today. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, so am I. <laughs> okay, and here's uh, all the news we can handle. My first news item almost made it into the random facts because it's just really freaking weird. Over the weekend, a swarm of bees killed 63 African penguins on a beach outside of Cape Town, according to the Southern African Foundation for the Conserva Conservation of Coastal Birds. They are upset because these are endangered penguins and... They say this is a rare occurrence. It doesn't happen very often, but it's like, okay. And do they know what set off the bees? Like what was happening? That's I really have strange. no idea. They don't, they didn't get into that in the article. They were just talking about, you know, these are endangered penguins and bees shouldn't be doing this. It's like, okay, how are you controlling the bees? It's like, I would get, I don't know. I mean, unless these are particularly aggressive bees or the penguins got into a nest yeah. Wow. You know, but it was it was very sad. That um, is very sad. Ooh. <laughs> but also very weird. Yes. Yeah, this is random. Random news. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is less sad. I really like this headline in the Rolling Stone. Right-wing conspiracy rally collapses under the weight of right-wing conspiracies. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Is this the rally that was supposed to happen over the weekend that hardly anybody showed up at? Yes, this was the rally at the Capitol of people who were protesting the treatment of people 
who breached the Capitol on January 6th. Oh. And, okay. you know, they believe that it wasn't an insurrection or, and that the election was stolen and these people are being treated, you know, poorly and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, and they were really prepared with many, many more police officers than people showed up, as it turns out, I think, at the end, <laughs> where I think they were only wound up expecting a thousand, which is way fewer than I would have imagined, I guess. But I think um, it was like 400 people showed up. Something right? like that. Yeah, way, way less than what they expected, fewer. So I'm not <laughs> sad about that <laughs> at no, all. No, me neither. Me neither. I, I read, a, I read an, I guess, an opinion piece by uh, the Stone Kettle Station guy, right? I think is his last name. I'm, I don't remember now. But he had some pictures and it was like three people. <laughs> On the wall, like you know, just this empty, just like a couple of people standing around, and yeah. yeah. Oh, so the point of the 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 Rolling Stone article was that a lot of them believed that this was like a false flag event, and that they were (laughs) going to be goaded into committing violence and then getting arrested. So they thought it was like a plot, so they didn't show up. So I'm like, okay, okay. I had read, I had read that that Trump himself said, don't go, but oh, that could be, I don't know. So yeah. not he, that I follow anything, you know, I don't follow his blatherings anymore. <laughs> so yeah, for my mental health, I, I mean, I maybe have some awareness of things just because of some podcasts I listen to, but I've tried not to pay too much attention. Although it really does seem that he's running again. So we are going to have to deal with him. Yeah. That I, Yeah. Yeah. So that's not news yet, though. Officially. Well, I mean, he's he's unaf- it seems like he's running again because it's a way for him to grift money out of people. So, right. You know, anyway. And if you guys wanted to read The Guardian uh, at some point, I found a kind of a really nice op ed in there about how toxic Facebook and Instagram are, especially with teenage girls and their body image. And right, and I heard how, that about Instagram for sure. Well, Facebook and, owns Facebook Instagram. Is Instagram, so yeah. You know. So yeah, it goes on to say that 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 Facebook they kind of know about it, but they're not doing anything about it, and they're ne- probably never going to do anything about it because that is going to hurt their money. <laughs> this feels like a case of anything, like things have positives and negatives, you know. Mm-hmm. And the sad thing about it is that anything that's created for a reason that is either neutral or positive, somehow the negative aspect of it is going to come out too, it feels like, you know, and that's, well, I, like, I don't yeah. think Instagram in and of itself is a bad thing. I like Instagram, but but I can also see how it you get that sort of surface appearance thing that tricks you into believing that that's some everyone's real life you know right yeah yeah um and the other the other thing that that really has bothered me about all of the the three social media giants right now is that it's something about the cost of leaving like i would love to get away from facebook but then i would fall out of touch with my entire social group Mm-hmm. You know, and they, and they, that's, there's an actual term for that. It's like the cost of leaving. And they made, they did deliberately make the cost of leaving so high that nobody wants to leave. Mm. 
you know, and, and that's also why the other platforms that have tried to compete with this have not been successful because you can't drag your whole social group over to something else. Right. I have found other social groups in other, in different places, but, and there's some overlap, but it's not, it wouldn't be as complete. I, I, exactly. I, I agree. Yeah. yeah. It's a different yeah. Kind of and, thing. and I'm, you know, at some point the government is going to have to step in and regulate this shit. You know, it's because it's, it's too much of a avenue for disinformation. It's too much of an avenue for really bad behavior and, and the way their algorithms work. They show you things that are getting engagement and the things that are getting engagement are like controversial shit that or full of disinformation. And they don't really, I mean, they pretend, you know, they act like they care, but it doesn't work. It, you know, whatever they're doing isn't working right. And, and at some point, someone's going to have to step in and say, you know, you guys, you guys tried, you know, policing yourselves and now, and you haven't, you haven't succeeded at it. So now we're going to have to do it for you. And no one's going to like that. Mm -hmm. True. You know, well, we will keep (laughs) ourselves and you posted on all that (laughs) on Facebook. And I'm sure we'll know about it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh man. So August 29th, there was a drone strike just in the last days of the U S leaving Afghanistan, which killed 10 people all from the same family, I believe. Oh man. And it, you know, it was, talked about as a necessary strike that was going to keep the safety of the airports as people were leaving. And it turned out that it was really a family doing nothing wrong, apparently. So that really sucks. The the administration did take responsibility for it. And well, that's something put out an apology pretty, you know, relatively quickly, which is, which is a positive thing. And Amnesty International is just calling for, you know, for change, obviously. And says the U.S. now must commit to full, transparent and impartial investigation into this incident. Anyone suspected of criminal responsibility should be prosecuted in a fair trial. Survivors and families of victims should be kept informed of the progress and of the investigation and be given full reparation. You know, and it goes on. You know, it's really calling for a a reevaluation of drone strikes yeah in general and i've heard i don't know i've i've read a couple things that maybe like the biden administration is and the pentagon is looking into maybe this is not a good choice and um mm-hmm. so it's weird so i think from what i understood the the administration was looking into the use of drone strikes in not in wartime like ex, you know sort of extra not extracurricular, that's not the right word, but you know what I mean. Extrajudicial. Yes. So maybe, my understanding was maybe they're looking for ways that it would be legal to use strikes when there's no conflict happening officially. Mm. But then I also read other things that maybe they're looking into it, not, you know, understanding that it's problematic way of, doing anything and maybe <laughs> maybe that will be curbed or, or changed in some way so i don't know what's happening but i think at least after this huge of a mistake mistake that's in very big quotes 
some kind of evaluation I believe is happening. And, you know, obviously yeah. there are organizations that really look at the stuff we're all calling for that. So well, we'll see. Heather Cox Richardson wrote on Sunday night a long piece about the history of the drone strikes and she was giving the like the total numbers of the various administrations and how many they did. They didn't start until the Bush administration, Bush two. Right. And and Obama what Obama I, ramped it up, right? Yeah, he did. But in, in the eight years of his admin oh, I should pull the thing up, but oh George W. Bush used them. Yeah, W is the second one. He did nine drone strikes between 2004 and 2007. In 2008, he launched 34 strikes. Obama, over the course of his entire eight years, authorized 1,878 drone strikes. And Trump, however, in the launched... 2,243 drone strikes in the first two years of his presidency. So he really ramped them up. Wow. And I feel like I didn't even, I, I, I maybe just tuned it out or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was so was much not aware of that. Other so much awful, was happening. Awful going on locally that we were, it was hard to, to look outside the United States and see all the, the awful bullshit he was doing elsewhere on top of that. But like well here in the wake of the the strike you were talking about Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin has ordered an inquiry into the degree of which into the degree to which strike authorities procedures and processes need to be altered in the future. And I think what was happening was Trump was authorizing people to to drone strikes the the level of a person who could authorize such kept getting lower and lower into the military hierarchy mm. over time. And I think they need to, they, they're going to look at it and hopefully put it back up that you need to go up to a fairly high level before you can authorize one of them. And yeah. there's, you know, other issues with, with remote and unarmed vehicles is that the people operating these, they're not necessarily in country. They could be in Arizona and operating them and then they go home to their regular lives. And I think that also it plays really bad head games with the actual, you know, people operating these machines. Yes. I was listening to a podcast about that recently where I, originally people thought, Oh, it'll be like a video game and they're not even aware of the kind of actual damage that's happening. And, and it turns out that that's not true that they really are experiencing as much PTSD as anybody else in that kind of yeah in that and kind it, of situation it might even be weirder cuz you're not even in the theater it, you know it is weirder cuz you you're going home into a a quote normal unquote life and you have to it's i think there was it's like something about the mindset of being in the the military you know in the act the theater of action or whatever you call it and then coming home and then you can kind of just turn all that shit off. But when you have to do it like for a part of a day and then pretend to be normal for the rest of your time, it's, it's really a hard thing to switch back and forth and yeah. it messes with your head. Yeah. And it's like, yes, I'm glad. Well, honestly, I am actually glad they are aware that they're taking people's like real people's lives and it's not a video game. 
Yeah. I mean, it's bad that they're having PTSD, but it's good that they recognize that it's not a game, you know? Yes, absolutely. So, and then our last, our last, well, ex- penultimate news piece is uh, a group of people built an ark in Scotland as part of a climate change protest, the Extinction Rebellion, which was going on this weekend, I think, which in part they want the UK to stop inve- investing in fossil fuels. So I'm guessing they're built, they built an ark because the sea levels are rising. That's, I like that visual. <laughs> That's wild. Did they, well, I'll have to say, I'll have to take a look. I'm not going to ask you questions. I'll look at the article. And well, this is also the in picture, the, Guardian, the picture right? was, yeah, the picture okay. was just the, uh, like the, the bones of the ark. They didn't like cover it up. And I don't oh, know okay. if they're going to continue building it, if they're just going to leave it like that. But they, they were saying that people are interested and they're going to look at the thing now. It's like a tourist thing now. So they're raising awareness. So that's a good thing. That is a very good thing. And tomorrow, uh, September 23rd, is Celebrate Bisexuality Day. Yay. <laughs> Celebrate. Also, uh, Bi Visibility Day, I think they also call it these days. Oh, yes. It's got a couple okay. of different names. And yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have no plans, but I'm going to see maybe if some of my bi friends want to have a drink or be wear some pink purple and blue and walk around <laughs> philly or be visible i don't know <laughs> but that's good happy yeah. celebrate bisexuality day yes and i think that's all the news we're going to handle today <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by cat movers cat removal service Has your residence become a cat cafe? Are cats constantly placing themselves on your laptop keyboard, fruit bowl, or in carelessly tossed grocery bags? Is any surface safe from cats? No! Download our Cat Mover app and request one of our specially trained wranglers to come to your location and move the cat off the thing you need to use. No, we won't take the cat out of the house. We'll just encourage them to step off the laptop, climb out of the bowl, or leave the bag or box alone. If you think you have what it takes to be a cat wrangler in your area, contact Cat Movers today. We are always hiring. And now, back to our podcast. Welcome to the Artscape, where... We are basically interviewing each other and talking about our <laughs> artistic pursuits du jour. And today I get to interview Robin. Welcome, Robin. Hello. <laughs> it's good to see you again, Wendy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you have recently told me that you are in background work mode. And I wanted to know first, how long have you been in this mode? It, you know, it's weird. I mean, I feel like in some ways, writer's block is background mode oh. in some ways. Like, I, you know, I, I, there's been a long time since I've produced anything that I wanted to sell or put out there musically and that sort of thing. And I was... For a long time, I was feeling really, really stuck and just kind of frustrated about it. But there was always sort of information percolating or or, or mo- I was moving through things psychologically, you know? Okay. 
So I feel like that's kind of a work of its own in some sense, but that has become much more active now. Like I'm writing and really processing things and working on stuff. And that feels, that's, you know, in terms of that mode, you know, maybe since we began this project of doing Artscape and wanting to, you know, so I, I started to put purposeful thought into what is it that I really need to do mm. to get where I need to be. And, and I talked about processing grief and that that's really what has been in my way in a lot of ways. Okay. So I started kind of like journaling, I guess you could say, but writing letters to people one person who I'm really working with primarily right now and just writing every thought I wanted to tell the person who's passed away and things that I would need to process with them and things I'm pissed off about and things that, <laughs> you know, all of this stuff. Okay. And, and that's actually producing real, like it gets to the core of the matter ah. somehow. Okay. Because you write and you talk and you can imagine what the person could might say, but really what you're doing is, what I'm doing is getting all that stuff out <laughs> there, you know? Uh-huh. And giving myself permission to just write down whatever comes to mind. It's, it's, not, it's not with the purpose of, I need to send this report tomorrow, or I need to write an article that's going to be published somewhere. But okay. it's, the, it's the background work of what's coming but it's part of that it's part of the process and i feel really really good about it it feels okay. really close and i feel close to those i've been thinking about i don't know it's work it's a different kind of work yeah I mean, it sounds like what you just said like it's it's not only processing your grief that you need to get through it's also a method that you are working on overcoming like a writer's creative block that is, is that it's kind of like doing two things for you. It is. Yeah. And things, things start coming out of it, you know, just because if you just put pen to paper and I'm doing it in a physical, like in a journal, actually, not mm -hmm. just in my laptop. I like to write on a laptop, but this is a different, I, I need something more physically active like an old school like yeah well, getting it, it out of my brain <laughs> i know? think i think it actually the physical act of writing it, it stimulates different parts of the brain than typing does yes yeah and, and it also uh, it slows you down too because you usually a lot of people and i you're probably one of them because you type all day long you end up getting you can type much faster than you can write I type more legibly than I can write. <laughs> I mean, I actually can write. My my penmanship is not that bad, but when I'm doing this kind of stuff, it's it's not necessarily. Okay. Is it something you're going to be able to read like a year oh, from now? It's not that terrible. Yeah. Okay. Because I I when I when I was doing dream diary work, I would be writing like half asleep, and then I go back a week later, and I can't read it. So. <laughs> But no, it is, th and things are coming out of it like, oh, this is going to be a song, or this is a poem that I need to, I'm getting lines for things that are real. Oh, okay. This is actually my next, things. my next question is yeah. actually, no, it's good. It's good. When you consider yourself emerged from this background work, then will you have actual pieces finished, or are you just going to have like the ideas or the seeds for pieces and work? 
Yeah, I think I will have pieces. I have a feeling that this is an ongoing process, you know. It's it's a long uh-huh. I, I feel like right now the thing that I've been writing is it could easily be a book, you know. I don't know that I'm gonna write the book, but <laughs> it could go on there are many chapters, there are many thoughts happening, you know. <laughs> so yeah, there's gonna be real work that comes out of this, you know. Um things that I'll probably post on my website or or hold back and make okay. maybe it'll be part of a bigger work, you know. Okay. At some point. So this is, I guess, you see, you're, you're answering all of these things before I ans- ask them. <laughs> There's always uh, deeper this, stuff, so it's that's okay. fine. No. Are you concentrating in a, in a specific area like poetry or music or prose or any, or all three, or do you just whatever? Um, that's a terrible question. <laughs> no, no, it's it's not. Um, well, it's phrased badly. <laughs> yeah, like as I said, with really what I'm doing in terms of what I'm actually writing right now, it's more just stream of consciousness letter writing. You know, so what that what emerges from that? It really depends. I mean, so far it's been more literary like the bits that come out that feel like they need to become something it, it like maybe it's it's a line from a poem or something but that's not always the case i mean so a lot of times something shows up and i'm like this this is totally a song like you know right away that it's going to be musical you know but aside from that i just got a new instrument that came into my life i don't know if that's a question you were going to ask no but go ahead okay go ahead. <laughs> i not specifically um, I acquired a piano, a new to me piano, which is lovely because I, I have an old piano, which I learned on and it's beyond repair in terms of like being able to play. It's still, it's a beautiful thing, but it doesn't work. <laughs> so now I have a, a, you know, a piano that I can play and that feels lovely. It feels like a, um, I don't know, some kind of new opening. Okay. And so Getting back to that, just playing an acoustic piano and writing a little bit on it and just hearing, just hearing, just doing that act again after a long time away is uh, a huge thing. Awesome. I mean, it just feels really good. Yeah. 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 That is really good. So is this kind of writing, is this norm, is this part of your normal creative process or is this something new for your creative toolbox? It's not, I mean, it's not like I haven't done it before, but I haven't done it as enthusiastically and I haven't, like, I'm very bad at journaling. I used to journal all the time when I was in high school, for sure, you know, Mm -hmm. and part of college and that sort of thing. It was definitely like a thing that I did. And then it sort of, I don't know, I didn't want to document my day-to-day life I would write things that felt felt important but that sort of practice of just writing what's in my head started to go away and and what came more was the pressure to produce a thing Mm. you know like either I was writing for writing so much for a work situation or needing to complete an album or needing to, you know, something, there's some sort of thing where it's always, the end product is always the 
focus. Okay. You know, so I did a lot more of that and, and didn't maybe allow myself to write whatever needed to be written, you know? So, so this is definitely, I would say a, it's a revamping of, of an old tool, but definitely a, a blossoming into it and just really allowing myself. One of the things is just allowing myself to write shitty, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I'm not editing things and going like, Oh, well the better line would be this before I even really get to the next things, you know, it's just, right. it's not even about that at all. It's just letting stuff out. And, and okay. that feels, you know, again, it's not, it's not something entirely new, but it's something that is, has really come to the fore. Okay. So what was it that prompted you to decide to do this now or in the now-ish timeframe that you're doing it? It was really like hitting a wall. You know, I, I felt so, how could I even describe it? Pretty, really pretty down about a lot of things in life, but especially feeling like, well, you kind of talked about this at some point about not trying to, like feeling like your your purposelessness or something, like you're no, you don't have a yeah. your bearings on. If I'm not writing, then what, what am I? What the hell am I doing? Who am I? <laughs> kind of thing. You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah. I, I, you were talking about it in a somewhat different context, but it felt like I felt very lost for a very long time in recent years. And I knew that the person I am and the, and the work I mean to be doing was in there. Mm. And I was really, um, I don't know, just kind of couldn't access the places I needed to somehow. And I just really realized that um, some of the things that I believed to maybe be in my way and a lot of that had to do with just not having processed a lot of things that were painful over over the last bunch of years. And some of that had a lot of that had to do with people leaving the planet mm. <laughs> and uh, not having resolved those feelings about because you know, sometimes there's nothing, you know, if someone dies, you don't have you didn't get to say all those things you needed to say to them or right. Whatever. There's a lot of jagged edges or just sadness but um so uh, yeah i just felt like if i'm gonna get through this i'm gonna make it a project and do it and and really i don't want to spend my life not living myself you know right so that's i have i have a visual now in my head of you standing at this big brick wall and the writing is you busting through it mm. to get to what's on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it feels like that. Okay. And I think it takes that kind of patience too, because it's not, it's not a thing that's going to be over next well, week. It also took you, I, th- I, I, from what I was hearing, it sounds like you are, you have accumulated over the course of a certain number of years, a lot of this, grief that you haven't processed and it's grief about people losing people and it's probably other things i i there was a a meme going around the last couple of days about grief and it's not just 
grief isn't just death. And they listed a bunch of other events that happen that make you that grieve that because mm-hmm. you uh, it's a loss, any kind of a loss, there's grief. Oh yeah. And, one of the things, one of the things I'm sort of dreading is like the loss of a relationship that is still very present in my mind. And, you know, that person is very much alive and that's, Mm. worse somehow (laughs) (laughs) you know i do know honestly (laughs) i I have journal entries to prove that i know (laughs) yeah yeah so that's a hard one that's one i'm i kind of i start to even cry thinking about having to approach those those thoughts and topics and conversations you're gonna get a lot of good music out of that i'll tell you that right now (laughs) yeah yeah definitely Uh, Some of my best music came out of that, out of (laughs) that headspace. (laughs) Right. And the challenge is to not send this shit to him (laughs) and just write it for myself. (laughs) You know what I mean? And not try to open a bad can of worms. Okay. Well, I I played, I played the song for the guy and he burst into tears, which made me feel really good, actually. Okay. All right. Well, (laughs) I'm just saying, I'm just saying. (laughs) He came by, he, he, you know, and I said, here's the song I wrote about you. I played him Love Has Nine Lives and he, halfway through, he started crying and said, I never meant to hurt you. And I'm going, wow, I was not expecting this kind of validation ever from him. So, huh. All right. No, yeah. think. <laughs> I'm not, funny. I'm not suggesting you do that if it's going to have a bad outcome, but right. damn, I was yeah. like not expecting that. And uh, feel I will. I will. Is there anything, any works in progress that you would like to share, that you would feel comfortable sharing? Not at this time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's a little raw right now. Okay, and it's I kind of like that. I kind of like the fact that I'm writing for me and the person I'm, you know, not showing trapped it. To, or yeah, or telegraphing <laughs> into communicating with. So that feels good. And there's there are things that I want to do, you know. Well, I'm not going to make any promises. I'll let you, if I, if I do it, I will. If I do it, you'll hear it. Okay. For the we can't, we don't have any scoops for Robin Renee's future projects yet. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> well, Thank I, you. You're welcome. I, this was interesting. And, and um, I'm looking forward to the, fruits of this labor which will take time to grow yeah but it's good it's good that you're planting the trees to bear the fruit i I like that me too yo what up this is the poet known as analysis and you're listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. This is what you need. Don't miss an episode. Well, I'm really happy to be here with Caroline Varenkamp. Caroline has been fighting stage four thymoma since 2015, but she's more than her cancer diagnosis. In her free time, Caroline likes to cook and to travel with her kids and creates a travel and history podcast, The Wonders of the World, in her spare time. 
While undertaking her cancer journey, she navigated and accepted her identity as a transgender woman. So Caroline is currently living in suburban Indianapolis, and I'm really excited to hear about her story. So hi. Hi. It's great to be here. Yeah, this is this is really, really good. I mean, you are on a very unique and complex journey, it sounds like. And in your bio, you began with talking about cancer, and that's... um. I don't know. I, I, is that where you'd like to start? Would you like to talk it's, about that? Well, it's fun because it's, it's fun. It's all fun. But it yeah. has been such a huge part of my life in recent years and has, in a way, freed me to make choices that I might not otherwise have made. So there's this weird liberating aspect to being sick that uh, we don't often think of. And they tell me that I am maybe the only American to have experienced cancer care as a cis man and then as a trans woman, which is, I, I sort of just thought, oh, everyone does this, but no, <laughs> they don't. Wow. I have developed and grown more as a person since my diagnosis than in the 30 plus years I had before that. That's really... Um... Well, it's really powerful. Would you like to talk about how you were diagnosed? Sort of how did that come about? Yeah, it was really strange. I um, I felt fine. Um, but one day, it was in February 2015, I was having a one-on-one conversation with one of my employees. I was the head of marketing for a credit union in Indianapolis. And uh, in the middle of this conversation, suddenly I started slurring my speech. And I had no idea what was going on. I thought, well, I had eaten a very underripe banana. Maybe that was it. It was not it. And um, it was a really just, it was a strange moment. So then I, it went away. Weird. I got home, was eating dinner with my family, and it came back while I'm eating pizza. And all my consonants just sort of went away. It was just vowel sounds almost. So long story short, there's MRIs and there's all these tests and they go from doctor to doctor to doctor until someone diagnoses it as myasthenia gravis, which is an autoimmune disease that causes your immune system to attack the um, connections between your nerves and your muscles. And so it often presents as just weakness, that you take so much more energy to move because your nerves and your muscles aren't connecting. And for me, it was all manifesting in my face. So my face just stopped working and I couldn't chew, I couldn't speak, I couldn't swallow. Um, And once they diagnosed me, they said, well, you know, sometimes there's cancer associated with this. We should do a, a, a CAT scan and get a, get a look. And there it was, a tangerine-sized tumor in the middle of my chest, and a rare cancer called thymoma, because it's the cancer of the thymus gland. And norm- the thymus gland is what makes your immune system when you're an infant. And normally it goes away when you hit adolescence, and mine just didn't. and just sort of grew and grew and grew. So um, eventually I had to have surgery and radiation, four different chemos, more surgery. And um, it, they couldn't get it all. It's still, now it's spread to the lining of my lung. It's currently under control from the chemo that I'm on now. But it's, um, it was terrifying 
you know, to be hit with this kind of double whammy of a diagnosis. And the amazing thing, and I think one of the reasons why this all kind of falls into place for me is that the world's expert in this rare cancer is in Indianapolis of all places, which is not normally where people think about major cancer doctors, but like the per- he gets referrals from across the world. Wow, what a blessing. That's, that's He was my oncologist just locally. Right. Wow. Well, that is, I mean, a blessing and obviously all of it is, is a challenge. And then you, at some point in this journey, you recognized you yeah. are a woman or? Yeah, it was yeah. weird. It was so weird. And you know, it feels like the most natural thing in the world now. But I was, I've been depressed my whole life without really understanding why. Um, and... I didn't even really know I was depressed. I just assumed that my understanding of happiness was the same as everybody else's understanding of happiness. Hmm. Um, And so I just, I had been in a fog, but I assumed that was normal. Kind of like living in England. You just assume (laughs) everyone has rain all the time, a light drizzle and sour about life. This is normal. That's, That's funny. You know? <laughs> so I had had surgery again to take out all the tumors in February, right before COVID hit. COVID hits and now we're locked down. I, the only time I leave the house is to go get my scan and in May. And the doctor's like, oh, it's, it's all back. Everything that they had taken out, this massive surgery that I had had to remove part of my lung and all this tumors, they're all back. And that was it. I mean, I thought, okay, well, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. It's, I, it, it doesn't, I can keep doing various chemos, but ultimately I don't have any time left. And I'm 44 years old at this point. And I don't know this again, the whole, unless you want me to the ridiculous story of, of how it worked. Um, uh, I'm hoping for it's a ridiculous story. It is, it is fun. If you're time for, if you're okay with ridiculous, my kids got me hooked on a Harry Potter mobile game of all things. I mean, honestly, you know, me and JK Rowling, not on the, we're on the outs a little bit, but they got me on this yeah, Harry I would Potter think so. mobile <laughs> okay. game. Okay. I've been playing. I got addicted to this thing. It was this little game where your character at Hogwarts you're like a student and you go year to year and you take classes and you play Quidditch and you get rewards for doing it. And it's all gamification. And it's, it's frankly dumb, but I'm a Pokemon go player. So I'm yeah, good with it. Yeah. yeah. yeah I so it's, it's a story that you play as you go. And so my character, as you go, you get the opportunity to win outfits and you can change everything about your character, your name, your skin color, your hair, your clothes, everything, except you cannot change your house. So once a Slytherin, always a Slytherin. And you can't change your gender. Hmm. And the reason that's interesting is by the time you get to like fifth year or so, you unlock facial hair and makeup. But they couldn't code it in a way to code facial hair just for boys and makeup just for girls. And so suddenly you had the opportunity to do the other way around. And 
I was putting my little boy Ravenclaw character into long hair and makeup and a kilt because it was the closest thing I could get in the male wardrobe a lot more often than I wasn't doing the other thing. It was a lot. And I was like, that's weird. But I didn't think anything of it because I thought, oh, it's just fun. I'm just playing around. It's just it's fun to experiment. You know, have, it's goofy. It's a video game. The Monday after the 4th of July last year, the Reddit site, the sub the subreddit for this game has a thing called My Character Mondays, where you post a picture of your character. And I made this little picture of my little first year Ravenclaw guy with a little bowl cut. And then this fabulous sixth year with flowing hair and great makeup and, um, you know, this kind of lacy sort of, I guess, like 17th century French dress shirt kind of thing, but looked good. Mm -hmm. And I posted it under a throwaway account and said, just figuring things out. And um, the first response I got back literally changed my life. It said, you should start the game from the beginning so you can be who you really are. And it broke my brain. Oh, that's amazing. And I don't know who did who it was. It was completely, you know, it's anonymous. It's just some random username. It could have been some 14-year-old kid somewhere. I have no idea. But it blew up my brain. And I immediately had memories of books I read and dreams I had and um, and, and, and wishes and fantasies and things I had written and all of these things for 40 years that I had had that I had buried under this wall of denial because there was so much kind of internalized shame attached to it. Because in the 80s in Tennessee, where I grew up, you know, there wasn't a word for it, for wanting to be a different gender. It just wasn't something that you could do. It wasn't something you could wish for. We didn't have magic wands. And I just buried. I couldn't tell a soul. I couldn't have done anything for years. I knew it, but I had to bury, bury, bury. And this thing suddenly broke. And then I, you know, checked immediately, like, is this, can this happen? Is this real? And yeah, oh, it can happen. And yes, it's real. And um, I thought, if I'm going to die... I want to die being who I am because I'd rather be dying alone in hospice as a girl than dying with people around as a boy, if that makes sense. Like if I'm going to die, I want to have at least some life the way I'm supposed to be living it. Mm. And the amazing thing is since that decision, which was just over a year ago, like 13 months ago, I have lost weight. The chemo has been working spectacularly. My health has never been better. And the fog I was in is gone. So my panic attacks and my anxiety that had been an issue for years, decades, gone. My mental health has been is superlative. I mean, I'll have days where I'm feeling down, but it's just a day. It's like an hour. It's it's 
time. I'm crying, getting it out and getting back in life. And I'm genuinely happy in a way that I didn't understand what that meant before. And so I think about it as, yeah, I'm sick and I have cancer. But for the first time in in years now, I'm actually thinking about planning for the future in a way that I couldn't do before. You know, I can say, well, you know what? It's working. It's going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. And if I'm going to be fine, then I can actually think about retirement someday. I can think about things I will do in the future. I can think about long-term planning, which I hadn't been able to do. And it's been this immense blessing that I can't uh, even describe. I was so afraid once a realization hit. I was afraid, okay, well, if I do this and I make this decision, I'm going to lose everything. Is that still worth it? And again, I thought, yeah, it's worth it. It's and, worth uh, it if it can get me out of the fog, if it can get me through, it's worth it. I've lost nothing. I was going to ask you, what, what what were people's, you know, responses around you? And so, well, it was very my, different than my, what you expected, it sounds. My then wife is now my ex-wife. But besides that, and, and, and we, we're, we're really good friends. That's what's amazing. So, yes, she wasn't interested in being with a woman. Get that totally valid. Right? Some people are straight. They can't help it. But... We are better, I feel like we're better friends now and more communicative with each other than we were when we were married. I'm a better parent. My kids have supported me wholeheartedly um, and have been amazing. My son says, he, I'm so much better now because I'm less angry. Mm. I don't yell all the time. I'm not intimidating anymore. Which maybe I should be if it get, gets him to fold his laundry. But. <laughs> right. Work has been supportive. My friends have been supportive. I just last week took a trip to Atlanta and saw friends I haven't seen in 25 years that I went to college with and high school with. Again, I haven't seen in decades. I could have at any point in the last 20 years done that trip and reconnected, but I didn't. I never felt like I was worth it. I never felt like I was worth having people taking a little time out of their day to have coffee with me. If that makes sense. I think I do know what it is to feel not like some kind of incomplete or something and just not, not reaching out or something like that. Yeah, exactly. You just feel like, well, eh, you know, you don't have the energy in a lot of ways. And I'm also glad I know what it is to come back around and get back online and able to, connect it's with people so again. good it's so huge it was just i my heart was so full and is and that happened last weekend oh my goodness last weekend i happened to be in my hometown franklin tennessee we were um having well it's a funeral family funeral he was eight, 95 years old and he was awesome and it was great but that same day they were there to bury my great uncle is my hometown's first ever pride festival and I've been back to Franklin. I may get back there once every couple of years, once a year maybe, not very often. And here I was in town at exactly the right day. 
to do be at some place that I couldn't have imagined being possible 30 years ago, mm. you know? And of course I was crying the whole time because I'm just a, a basket case, but, <laughs> but there were kids, there were, there were genderqueer kids hugging me in the field in the, of the park where we were having this festival. And I was just like, these are kids that are able to do what I couldn't have dreamed of back then. I wouldn't have even allowed myself to dream of it. And here they were living their best life already, now, today. And, and just, uh, my, mm, my heart, my heart, my heart, my heart. <laughs> that is so wonderful. I noticed an uptick of very local pride events this this year in particular because of I, I thought because of COVID maybe because the big cities are not having gatherings and things like that. So it really created yeah. a very different opportunity, I think. Yeah. Know? And so many of them are kid driven. Like the one in my town here in Indiana was all set up by the high school students. They organized the whole thing. And I'm like, God, you're like 16 and 17. Like I was 16 and 17. I couldn't have organized nothing you know <laughs> and here you are organizing an entire festival with entertainment and food and getting your permits and doing all this stuff like oh you know amazing i bow down wow so i i, I want to hear a little bit more about you know th through all of these changes and everything you really have maintained this great love for history and travel yeah. and your podcast is enthralling. I haven't listened to a lot yet, but from what I've listened to, I, it, I'm, I'm going to want to go to every single place you talk about for sure and, and, and learn more. So just tell me a little bit about that fascination. And it's called The Wonders of the World. Yeah. Right? And, you know, how, how that became a part of your life. So I had been commuting to and from work, as one does. And I got tired of listening to, like, talk radio, sports radio, or and even NPR, eventually you just get tired. And so I gave podcasts a shot. And as everyone else does, like I started like true crime and politics and, you know, but eventually somehow I landed on history and uh, they found a really humorous one. It was like history of the world or something like that. And I thought, oh, this is kind of fun. And then the person who did it stopped doing it right when ancient Rome started. So I'm like, well, I got to know what happens next. So I found a History of Rome podcast. And I'm like, oh, this is really good. Like good storytelling. Like I love storytelling and people who can really capture you with their words and bring you in in that audio medium, right? And when I left my job, because it was a hugely toxic work environment, when I left my job in downtown India and, and I was going to work from home, I was like, what am I going to do with this spare time on my hands? And I had been a DJ in college. And um, a couple of my friends at work or former work colleagues were like, you know, you could do that. You know, and you can you can tell stories. You should tell stories about all these cool places you've been, places you want to go. And I thought, hmm, yeah, that could be interesting. And I don't know how I got the idea of combining, of taking, I guess I wanted something that was different than anything else out there. And I had not found anything that combines basically what I do, the gimmick of the, of the thing is I use the great places on earth, like from the pyramids to the great wall to um, the Eiffel tower to even lesser known places like the stone carved churches of Lalabella, Ethiopia. 
And I use those places to tell the stories of the people who made them, the cultures that built them or lived there or experienced them. And what, how what you can go, if you go see them now, what it's like to experience those places. The idea being telling the story of the earth's entire history through the, the lens of those great places. And um, in the process, I always have a section at the end about food because I find that the best way to understand a culture is by exploring what they eat. And I guess that's a very Anthony Bourdain idea, but um, I've always loved to eat, and which is why I'm a fat slob now. <laughs> oh, please. I love, I love doing it. I love, love eating. Love eating. You're beautiful. It's all oh, good. Thank you. Food um, is good. Yes. The food. Oh, my God. <laughs> Like I just made, um, like last night I made Uzbek plov, which is a rice pilaf dish, um, normally with mutton, but I use chicken thighs because mutton kind of hard to get in Indiana. And um, it's, you know, like dried fruit and onions and carrots. And you just let it simmer down into like this. It just becomes this intensely spiced, like almost molasses underneath the chicken and underneath the rice pilaf. And it's just, oh, I've never, it's so comfort food. And I had no idea, it's Uzbek. I mean, not a lot of people in America eat Uzbek food, but it was just, it it was such a window into this um, country, which was the center of the Silk Road, right? So for centuries, travel between China and Europe and the Middle East has gone through Samarkand, Uzbekistan. and to eat this dish that had hints of Europe and hints of Persia and hints of China and hints of Russia all together was just like you could taste the Silk Road. And that was um, like the kind of thing you could imagine that if you've been on the road and you've been like traveling, traveling via caravan, the idea of eating something as filling and as luxuriously silky as this turned out to be would be heavenly. And so that that's where I get how this all kind of comes together. It's trying to find the how that the the food and the and the people all sort of tie into our shared history. And the best part is finding these stories from these cultures that we don't ever talk about in American history or in American taught history, I should say, um, like Uzbekistan. Um, and the fun thing, too, about focusing on the wonders is you focus on the people who build the wonders. And almost universally, they're not the conquerors. Mm -hmm. So, so many history podcasts are focused on this war and this battle and this kind of gun. And to me, I can't think of anything more boring than that. <laughs> um, I love the stories of the people. The, the guy in Uzbekistan, he was the king, but he was an astronomer. And he built... Um, a university and an observatory to chart the stars. So his grandfather had conquered all this land and Uling Beg had no desire whatsoever to conquer. He was terrible at it. He was an awful military ruler and he ended up getting killed by his own son, but he was an astronomer and he uh, counted, he had better, he built the largest sextant ever, which is the instrument we used before the telescope to measure the stars. And his, he got the uh, the the length of the year right within like seconds, um, all just by hand calculations with his little tool. Um, he had a team of astronomers. They peer reviewed things, 
So they would say, all right, this is what we think we saw. Is it true? And they're like, yep, that's right. And it which wouldn't come around in the West for another 200 years. Just kind of a really fascinating guy. And I love telling his story instead of the stories of the battles and the wars and all that that get in there. So, um, yeah, it's fun. That is wonderful. Where can people find that podcast? Just anywhere that you get your podcasts. Anywhere Wonders of the podcasts. World is hosted by my awkward brother for the first like four years. Uh, right. And then it switches over. <laughs> nice. Well, yeah, so we'll definitely we'll uh, give a link for that. And I'm going to check out more episodes for sure. So, you know, before we go, I would just love to hear a little bit about what what challenges you and what brings you joy these days. So it's what's amazing is how much joy I have. And I think what brings me more joy is sharing it and using my newfound joy in a way, and my newfound lease on life for good. So for example, I am just been added to the board of directors for Indiana's first housing solution for LGBTQ youth. So as you you probably know, queer kids and young adults experience homelessness at a much higher rate than cisgender heterosexual kids do sure um for a variety of reasons often because they're abandoned by their families and so the system can be very difficult to navigate and go through when you're queer because you end up being in place that's not meant or built for you so we've built one for them and it is such an amazing experience to be able to be part of an organization that is giving these young adults and and in some cases teenagers a place to live and housing security and a way to be able to to get on their feet and be who they're supposed to be and live their authentic lives however that that manifests and it's so such an honor to be able to help with that and use my skills to be able to make that happen and I think that's really been the best part of this is feeling that I'm not just going to be a cheerleader on the sides. So I'm going to get involved and getting involved has been so rewarding. So, you know, I hope there's more of that to come. Well, thank you so much, Carolyn. You are an inspiration and it's been really great to talk with you. Yeah. Thank you again for having me. It's been fun. Thank you. You got questions, we got answers. So today's question comes from the best self conversation pack. And the question is, if you could solve one world problem, what would it be? I have an answer. I can answer first if you're thinking. Yeah, I think your answer might well be my answer, but th- why don't you say I, I would solve climate change. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Is that what yeah. you would do too? Okay. I mean, I feel like you got to start there because we need the planet to live on, right? Yes. I, I, it's, it, the climate change, if, if I could wave my hands and make it go away, I would totally do that because it will 
be the cause of so much awfulness in the on on the entire planet that that I think that's the one thing that would make the biggest impact. Yeah, I mean that is I feel like that's the most immediately necessary thing and and everything flows from that. Uh, how, my secondary answer would be to get rid of this hatred and prejudice that we have, you know, all yeah. the isms that are kind of one big ball of wax because if we I feel like if if somehow we get to a better place of compassion other things will flow from that like people will care about the planet because they'll understand their connection with everyone else who lives here you know yeah and a lot of other things could get a lot better that's a good secondary one yeah but we I need mean, a, we need a planet to live on before we can fix the other things yeah so those are the things that i feel like you know in my, in my little tiny ways i'm trying to we're trying to make changes, but it feels yeah. so, it feels very small, but we try. I try. Yeah. A lot of small things can make big changes, you know, chaos theory, you know, the butterfly flapping its wings in China causes a hurricane in the Atlantic ocean or something, you know, that that's the, that's the, the stupid analogy they do for chaos theory. Big companies also can do things that would make a bigger, a, a more immediate and faster difference. Sure. But little little changes also help. They yeah. do. And a lot of people doing a little bit can make a big difference too. Absolutely. But it's not just us. For for climate change, we have to get we have to get like the corporations also involved. Because that because they're the ones that are really the worst offenders as far as pollution. Yeah. And I feel like whether they do something for truly altruistic reasons or for, for show or, you know, props or street cred <laughs> or whatever else it is, you know, I don't actually care. No, I they just need to do the stuff done. Yeah. need to do the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. That's a, that was a good question. Cool. In our next show, Robin interviews John Lehman, graduate student in mental health counseling and counselor education. He discusses being raised as an evangelical Christian and his experiences in leaving the church. Before that featured interview, we will delve deeper into a more accurate meaning of Ikigai. Yes, and uh, thanks for listening to the show. I'm Robin Renee, and you can find me on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan, or Instagram at Robin Renee Music, and on Twitter at Spirit Rock Sexy. And I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Wendy Cards, on Twitter at Wendy Designs, and on Etsy at Wendy Cards with a Z. Wendy Cards. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, you can always reach out to us on social media at Leftscape. Send us your questions, and uh, we might have answers. So uh, <laughs> thanks so much, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. 
You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Ariel Sheridan. Web hosting by InMotion. Remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash leftscape. Thanks for listening.